Amen. Thank you for that. Very, very nice. It's good to be here with you this morning. Always appreciate the opportunity to come. I believe this is our seventh uh, Seedline project that we've done together. Uh, the fall of 2015 was the first one. We did uh, two in 2016, in the spring and in the fall. Of course, 2017 was the year we did it up here in this room when you guys were remodeling and had all the pews downstairs, so we were up here. And uh, of course, over the past, I would say, year or so, we've been here, not just for seed line projects, but we've, we've stopped in a time or two for other reasons and, uh, and have, have stopped while passing through. And, uh, but it is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, appreciate all those who came out. I know that's uh, many, if not most of you here this morning, were able to come out either on Friday or on Saturday and help assemble the scriptures that you see up here. Uh, about 8,000 Spanish John and Romans for Mexico City and then 1,100 English with your personalized cover. So 9,100 total assembled this weekend. Um, so it's a blessing to be able to uh, see the project completed, at least to this point, where we have the scriptures boxed up and ready to be distributed. And uh, obviously that's the next step, uh, but it is good to be able to get together and, and actually assemble some scriptures. Certainly this has been a very uh, unusual year for everybody, really. Um, it's really kind of amazing in that um, I read, um, I, I collect and read all of our prayer letters from our various missionaries that we support back at my home church. And uh, every prayer letter that I read makes mention of the virus. And of course, these are missionaries that are all over the world. And this thing is everywhere. And so you read about it. And uh, yet at the same time, we know that uh, the Lord wants us to continue serving him and to continue to spread the gospel and preach the gospel and all of those things. Uh, this is actually the first project that we have uh, done as far as traveling to a church and doing a project since back in March. Uh, Samantha and I came home from Georgetown, Delaware in the middle of March, right as everything was starting to, I guess, really kind of intensify uh, as far as, you know, closing the schools and going into two and three week lockdowns, if you will, and, and all of that kind of being put into place. And so I counted it up just the other day, 145 days between projects which I'm pretty sure is a record for us. Now we have been doing some work at home and a couple of what we call our planted churches, which you guys technically are now a planted church. You have your own equipment and you'll be working on a more regular basis throughout the year, but uh, some work was still being accomplished. But as far as traveling and, uh, and doing the projects, this is the first one in 145 days. And as, as a point of reference, I looked up I know I've shared in the past um, Hurricane Irene and the flooding that, that we had in our valley back in 2011 from August 28, 2011 uh, to my first time out after the hurricane and the flood uh, was 74 days, which at the time seemed like a long time to not travel and to not be out doing scripture projects. And really that was just a little over two months. And uh, certainly this has been a very unique uh, circumstance. But I was able to do nine scripture projects between early January and the middle of March. And uh, I have probably somewhere between nine and 12 projects scheduled for the remainder of this year. A couple of those are still somewhat tentative. Um, and a couple of them, I, I'm including a couple that are not officially on the schedule, but have expressed interest in getting something scheduled before the year is over. So uh, if I'm able to continue uh, to, to travel and to do the projects in various churches here in the Northeast, uh, we should be able to be at about 20 projects for the year, which of course is, is a little bit down from uh, where we've been the last three years. We've averaged about 30 projects a year, which was up from the couple of years before that where we were right at about 25. A couple of years before that, right after Hurricane Irene and the flood, we were doing about 20 a year. So the ministry has grown over the years and a uh, little bit of a step back this year. but. 
really, it's just it's a step back in, in just the numbers. You know, it's certainly not a step back in the ministry um, because we are still uh, assembling the scriptures, bearing precious seed is still printing the scriptures, and uh, the work is still being done. And so we rejoice in that and praise the Lord for that. But I do appreciate your prayers for our ministry, and uh, certainly we covet your prayers and are thankful for them. As uh, especially now, as we're sort of uh, kind of getting back into the uh, the routine of traveling and doing the projects. Uh, just a quick update um, on what specifically we're doing. Of course, Spanish for Mexico City is what we have now, as well as English that we've done both for local church use, like we did here, as well as for a couple of different church planters. Um, we finished up back in the spring before uh, everything kind of went on hiatus, uh, a large German John and Romans project. That was for Couriers for Christ. I know I've talked about them before when I've been here. Uh, there was a campaign in, scheduled for September of this year in the city of Berlin, and uh, that was something we were looking forward to. Uh, of course, that was uh, postponed until September of next year. Uh, due to Germany having the same types of restrictions and, and limits on gatherings and things of that nature. Uh, in fact, we found out that uh, Germany canceled their annual Oktoberfest, which was the end of September into October. And you know that if they're going to cancel Oktoberfest in Germany, that, that they're taking this pretty seriously. And so the thought of arriving just a couple of weeks before that was supposed to take place to mingle out on the streets and be handing out uh, scriptures and literature and, and interacting with people just didn't seem like a wise thing to do, not to mention the questions on whether or not we'd even be able to travel uh, to Berlin and, and get there and, and have all of that be available to us. And so they made the decision to postpone that campaign until September of next year. So, but we did finish the German John and Romans. We sent those back to Milford. They have them there. They'll send that container at some point in the future, and hopefully uh, they'll be able to do that at some point next year, and that, and that campaign will be able to take place uh, next year. But uh, we finished up the German. We currently have English and Spanish that we're working on. And uh, so, again, thank you for uh, just your willingness to, uh, to come out and be a part of assembling copies of the Word of God that are going to make a difference uh, in the lives of people both here locally as well as uh, in Mexico City. And uh, so we rejoice in that. I'm going to have you uh, turn this morning in your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and also Romans chapter 10. We're going to just look really here at two verses that we're going to kind of use as a jumping off point into the message, really just to kind of set the, uh, the theme of the message, if you will. And uh, then we're going to go to some other passages here in a little bit. And uh, we're going to, in a sense, take a journey through the scriptures. Uh, we're going to go way back into the past, and we're even going to go a little bit into the future. And we're going to look at some things, and then we will conclude in one final passage to kind of tie everything together to where we are now. Um, so Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And of course, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Two verses, very interesting. If you put them together, if you put them back to back, we learn that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. So that may bring up the question, well, where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17 answers that question for us. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The title of the message this morning is Hearing is Believing. Hearing is Believing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we have your word, that we can look into your word and read your words to us. What a blessing it is to know you. 
and to serve you. And Lord, I ask now that as, uh, as your word is read, as it is preached, that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Pray that your spirit would do a work in each heart that's here. Lord, you know the need of each person that's here this morning. And I just pray that Christ would be magnified in all that is said and done. May you be pleased in all things. And Lord, we just love you and thank you for all that you do. We thank you for yourself. We ask your blessing upon our time together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hearing is believing. You know, if you think about it, uh, we live in a visual generation. We are very visual people, a very visual society, if you will. Uh, we have visual things at our fingertips all the time, whether it's smartphones or computers or laptops or whatever it may be. We are constantly looking at something or watching, at some, uh, watching something. How many of you would say, you know what, I learn best visually? Is there anybody here that's like that? You know, it's a good example of that for me is when it comes to car repairs. I am not uh, very good with mechanical things, certainly not very good at fixing my own car. And if someone were to tell me how to do a specific repair and to tell me to take off this part and undo these bolts and to loosen the, these wires and, and give me all of the, if they just tell me what to do, that's going to make no sense to me. You know what I need to do if I'm going to attempt to tackle it on my own? I need to go to YouTube, find the video, and watch someone do it. Or better yet, have someone do it for me. You know, I, I, we had a car repaired just a few weeks ago. Uh, the water pump had to be changed. And uh, I helped uh, one of the fellows in our church who actually did the work, um, but I helped, and my helping was holding the flashlight so he could see down in there to loosen things and then to reattach things and to tighten things. But as I saw it being done, it made sense to me. But when he tried to explain beforehand what needed to be done, it's like, well, okay, I'll take your word for it. I don't get it, but once I saw it, I was able to understand. And, you know, there are certainly studies out there that show that some people have the ability to, to read something or to have something explained to them, and they can just go and do it. Whereas others, they need to be shown what to do. Another good example of that is what we did this weekend, the staplers. Um, how many of you would say, you know, it, it would be best if somebody would show me how to run a stapler? Or maybe that was the case for some of you several years ago, someone showed you how to do it and then it made sense. That's certainly better sometimes than me standing up here or standing down there and just simply saying, okay, put the book on the saddle and line it up with the tape and use the triggers and make sure the staples are in the spine. And okay, some of you may say, okay, that makes sense and you just go and do it. But there are others, myself included, who would say, I need to be shown what to do. And so when it comes to a lot of aspects of our lives, we would agree with the idea of we need to see in order to be able to do something. And you, you've even heard it said, the phrase, seeing is believing. And you may know people who would say, look, I'm not going to believe something unless I can see it for myself. However, the title of the message this morning being Hearing is Believing, and when we look in the scriptures, we find that our scriptural admonition, if you will, is not to see, but it's to hear. Because we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And uh, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the verses that we've already looked at. Now, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a journey through the scriptures, and we're going to see... Uh, or rather, maybe I should say we're going to hear of some things that took place, and uh, we're going to draw some things out of several of these passages. I want you to, first of all, turn back to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. There are four distinct periods in the scriptures where we see uh, recorded for us uh, signs and wonders and miracles, if you will, that take place. Um, now, as I say that, let me also add this, that God is a God of miracles. God has always done miracles. God is still doing miracles today and will continue to do miracles. And some of you may even be sitting here and you would say, I can give you a specific example of where God did something miraculous. And that's just who God is. And that's what God does. He does miraculous things. However, when we look at the scriptures, there are four distinct periods where God gave 
a man or an individual, if you will, the ability to do certain signs and certain miracles. It was uh, an, an authority or a power, if you will, that God gave to an individual, but for a specific purpose. And, uh, you know, somebody may say, well, well, the Bible is full of miracles, and, and that is true to a degree, and that God does do miracles, and he still does miracles today. But the distinction that we're drawing out is this, that there were periods of time where God gave specific power to specific individuals to do miracles. And I think you'll, you'll understand where I'm going with this as we start reading these passages. First of all, Exodus chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1. To kind of set the stage, of course, Moses is being commissioned by God. He's, he's basically getting ready. God is getting ready to lead the children of Israel out of captivity there in Egypt and into the promised land. If you're going to put this on a timeline, this would be somewhere around 2,500 years after creation. So God created all things and man was there on the earth and, and 2,500 years goes by and now God is getting ready to do something and he's going to really, in a sense, for the first time in history, he is going to give a man the ability to do certain signs and miracles. Look at chapter 4, Exodus 4, verse 1. The Bible says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. How many can identify with Moses there in that verse? And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. How many would have been a little hesitant to do that? But verse 4 goes on to say, And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh." And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. By the way, isn't it, isn't it interesting that, that these signs have voices? The voice of these signs. Verse 9 says, It shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Skip all the way down to verse 29, and it says, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And verse 31 says, and the people believed. So why were these signs given? Why was Moses, and kind of by extension Aaron, I suppose, given the ability to do these signs? It was to confirm the word from the Lord, the word of the Lord that they were delivering to the people. These were not just signs given to, to get some type of a mass following. These were not signs given so they could exalt themselves, but rather these were signs that they did to confirm the word that God had given. Very simply put, that's the case. That's what is going on here. And we see, we can, we can read through the books of the law, and we can see in the life of Moses and in the children of Israel and their wanderings and all of those things, how that these signs accompanied um, the ministry of Moses there to the children of Israel. In fact, turn, if you would, now to Numbers chapter 20. This is something interesting to me. Numbers chapter 20. Of course, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. And uh, look at what it says in verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. 
And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Now you remember this happened before, and Moses was instructed to strike the rock, which he did, and water came forth. God here, though, tells Moses to speak to the rock. And the water will come forth. Look at what Moses does in verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock twice. Now, question, did Moses obey God, or did he disobey God? He disobeyed God, right? Look what happened in verse 11. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now, obviously, there's typology here. Christ the rock was only smitten one time. And so we see that picture here does not need to be struck again, but rather was offered once for all. So there's some typology here. Obviously, Moses, because of this, was not able to enter into the promised land. And, and again, the, the illustration being that just transgression in one point of the law is enough to disqualify somebody. Um, from it, it, You transgress in one point, you've broken the entire law. It's a picture of that as well. But... In the context of kind of what we're talking about, I just thought it was interesting because we are taught and the Bible would instruct us and, and I think we would all agree that if, if, we want, uh, if we want to have success, if you will, in our spiritual lives and in our spiritual walk, we need to be obedient. I mean, would you not agree that, that, that the results of our lives are going to be directly tied to our obedience to the Lord? I just think it's a little interesting that Moses was disobedient Yet the water still came out of the rock. Why is that? Well, see, Moses had been given this authority, if you will, this power to do these things. Even though he disobeyed, the water still came out. That's really kind of a little bit of a parenthesis, but just something interesting. But it does further the, the idea, though, that Moses had been given really a very unique authority to do some things that, that the, the average man or person could not do. Um, the, the last thing that we note here in this account is this. Go to Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9 says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. The other thing to note is this. This power and authority, if you will, to do these signs extended one generation after Moses. In other words, Moses had done these signs and these wonders. Think of the parting of the Red Sea. Think of the, the, the smiting of the rock and the water coming forth. All of these things. Here as Moses passes off the scene and the leadership mantle is passed to Joshua, these miracles are continuing. Because what does Joshua do? Well, he goes and, 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 and the Red Sea, or not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River is parted as they enter into the Promised Land. The walls of Jericho come down. Joshua prays and the sun and the moon stand still in the long day when they fight one of the battles there in the promised land. All of these things continue for one and only one generation and then these signs and wonders cease. Israel has now gone from captivity in Egypt to the promised land. In between those they wandered through the wilderness so a lot of significant things taking place but perhaps the most significant thing that took place was there on Mount Sinai when God gave his word to Moses, the giving of the law. And so you see this first era, if you will, of signs and wonders recorded for us in the Bible. Moses and Joshua accompanied with that is God for the first time really giving his inspired word to a man recorded so that they would have it and they would have the word of God from that point forward. So that's the first period of miracles. Now, I want you to turn to 2nd King or 1st Kings, 1st Kings chapter 17. We're going to fast forward on our timeline approximately 800 years from the time of Moses and Joshua. Now, obviously, during those 800 years, God is still doing miraculous things. 
However, there is not a man or an individual, if you will, specifically empowered to do the miraculous until we get to 1 Kings 17. Look at verse 1. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Pretty bold statement that Elijah makes here. Look at verse, uh, verse 8. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get, te- get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and, and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came, in, came un, into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And now notice verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Those signs, if you will, those miracles, what did they do for this widow? They confirmed to her that the word of the Lord from the mouth of the prophet was truth. So you have Elijah here, and he does these things. He does, of course, we all know the account in the very next chapter, where he calls down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Uh, By the way, this second period of miracles, if you will, extends to one and only one generation after Elijah, turning your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and let's look at that here quickly, 2 Kings 2, verse 9, it says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. So Elijah had done these miracles, these signs and wonders, if you will, confirming the word of the Lord. The mantle passes to Elisha, that next generation, And if you study through the scriptures, you'll find that the Bible records for us that Elisha did twice as many miracles as did Elijah. 
as far as what's recorded in Scripture. It's interesting, a double portion, if you will. But the thing that we're taking away from this this morning is this. Obviously, 800 years or so ago, God had given the law to Moses there on Mount Sinai. He had given Moses his word. And for all of those centuries, they expounded upon the law, they preached from the law, they instructed the people in the law, but now God is doing something a little different. He is sending prophets to deliver messages, and certainly these prophets would call people back to the word of the Lord, but they were also delivering new messages, new revelation, if you will, from God. And obviously, this would take place over the course of time, but here, if you will, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha and these signs and wonders accompanying their ministries are basically authenticating the fact that God is now speaking through the prophets. In fact, if you do a search in the New Testament, you'll find the phrase, the law and the prophets, 11 times, referring to the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. So we have the law, we have the prophets. It's interesting that both of these periods of time where these miracles are taking place, you also have God in, in two major steps, if you will, giving his word to his people. Okay. Now, let's look at the third period of signs and wonders. Go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Of course, I don't think we need to rehearse this morning all of the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did. Probably the greatest period of time where miracles took place would have been during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the, uh, of the sick, uh, giving sight to the blind, raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, we could go on and on and on the miracles that Jesus Christ did. Look at Mark 16 and verse 14. The Bible says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, that is still our mandate today. But notice what he goes on and says in verse uh, 16. He that, believe, or, uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. But notice verse 17 now. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And now look at verse 20. It says, and they, the apostles, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So again, Jesus Christ, approximately 700 years after Elijah and Elisha, Jesus Christ comes to this earth and during his earthly ministry, does miracles, signs, and wonders. Why? Because as the living word of God, he is authenticating his word that he is giving with these miracles. And he gives this power to the apostles. And they are to continue on doing this. But like with Moses and Joshua, like with Elijah and Elisha, that power, if you will, that special uh, authority to do these things extends to one and only one generation after the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God is still today doing miraculous things. The difference is the apostles were men who had the ability to do these miraculous things. Uh, for sake of time, we won't turn to all of these verses, but you can jot these references down. I want you to notice here in Mark, um, in verse 17, where it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. He says, in my name shall they cast out devils. Well, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 18, you have the Apostle Paul casting a devil out of a girl that's following them around, and uh, he casts out a devil from her. Um, it says also in verse uh, 17, 
they shall speak with new tongues. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples came down from that upper room and they began to speak in tongues in all of those different languages. It says that all that were gathered from all those different language groups heard in their own language the apostles speaking and, and sharing the gospel in those tongues. In verse 18, it says, they shall take up serpents. You remember the account in Acts chapter 28, verses 3 through 6, where Paul reached to put some wood on the fire and a serpent came out and, and he reached to, to get wood and, and was bitten by a serpent and he shook it off into the fire. And they looked to see, they were waiting for him to basically fall over dead. Nothing happened to him. Nothing happened to the Apostle Paul. He was fine. goes on to say uh, at the end of verse 18, They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Uh, right after the incident with the serpent there at the fire, Acts 28 and verse 8, uh, the governor of the island, his father, I believe, was sick, and, and Paul healed him. And there are other examples all through the book of Acts of the Apostles doing these things. Uh, this is something also that's interesting. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. If you were to put the epistles of Paul in chronological order in which they were written, 2 Timothy would be the last one that he wrote uh, or that he dictated perhaps uh, before his death. So this would have been right at the end of the Apostle Paul's life. And look what he says in verse 20. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at my Lentum sick. Now maybe we read that and we don't think a whole lot of it, but stop and think about it for a minute. Paul was with Trophimus. Remember the Apostle Paul who healed people from, from diseases and sicknesses? who when he was preaching and the young man fell asleep and fell out of the window, who he brought back to life, the same Apostle Paul says to Trophimus, hey, I'm, I'm off to Rome. I, I hope you feel better. I'll be praying for you. I have a question. Why didn't Paul just heal him? Well, because those signs and wonders, those miracles were given to confirm the word that accompanied it. And we see here, even in the latter days of the apostles, this is maybe 30 years after the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, 30 years or so, we already see these sign gifts kind of fading from the scene. Poor Trophimus, he didn't get healed, but rather he was left there sick. But again, as we look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and as we look at the ministry of the apostles, you'll see that this third era, if you will, of these signs and these wonders being given also accompanied the giving of the New Testament. God completing his word and giving us the New Testament. So we have Moses and, and, and Joshua and we have the giving of the law. We have Elijah and Elisha and then down through the uh, several centuries following we have God speaking through the prophets, giving more of his word through the prophets. Here in the, in, in the ministry of Christ and the apostles, we have the giving of the New Testament, completing the scriptures. Now there's a fourth period of time where signs and wonders will be prevalent. Look at Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Now we're jumping into the future. I can't give you a date for this one because it hasn't happened yet. Now, I would like to say soon this may take place, but um, obviously we don't know when the Lord is going to return in the air, and we don't know when we're going to hear that trumpet and be called up to meet him in the air. We don't know when that's going to happen. Therefore, we don't know when the tribulation period will start. But during that period that we call the tribulation or the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period, look at what it says, Revelation 11, verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And by the way, notice that even just that phrase, I will give power unto my two witnesses. In other words, these two men... 
They're going to have a power given to them, a power that they can exercise. Look what it says then. It says in verse 3, they, will, they shall prophesy 1,203 score days, or three and a half years, if you will, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues. And notice the last phrase in verse 6, as often as they will. In other words, we, we could use kind of a modern phrase, whenever they want. Whenever they so desire, they can smite the earth with these curses and with these plagues, if you will. They have a power and authority, if you will, to do these things. This is going to take place during the tribulation period. And, of course, this immediately precedes the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the thousand-year millennial kingdom on this earth. You say, well, does this, does this extend to one further generation? And I would say, I would answer that one of two ways. I, I would be tempted to say, well, no, it doesn't need to because the Lord is here. But then I sometimes would be tempted to say, well, yes, it does uh, extend to one more generation. It's a thousand-year generation as Christ is here on the earth. You say, okay, well, if the Bible is complete, what about the giving of the word? We looked at the law, we looked at the prophets, and then, of course, the New Testament, but, but his word is complete. So how does that tie in? Well, we know that when... Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, Revelation 19, the classic passage, if you will, that describes his return to this earth at the second coming to set up the kingdom. It says his name is called what? The word of God. The living word himself will be here on this earth. Hebrews chapter 8. We're almost finished. Hebrews chapter 8. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. By the way, whenever you see the words those days, based on the context of the passage, in most cases, that's referring to the tribulation period. When you see those days. So when you see that, that that's a clue, that's a key, if you will, that we're looking at what we call the tribulation. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their heart, their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. It's going to be very different in the millennial kingdom, is it not? They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. Why? Because they will all know them. They will all know him. Why? Because his law will be written in their minds and in their hearts. The word of God, the living word of God will be present here on this earth for a thousand years. So you see how the word of God specifically ties into these four periods in history that we looked at. You know, 25 I'm sorry, 3,500 years ago, Moses and Joshua and the giving of the law. And then 800 years after that, Elijah and Elisha and God ministering through the prophets. 700 years after that, 2,000 years ago, Christ and the apostles here on the earth. And then sometime in the future, perhaps in the very near future, a fourth period, if you will, where two men, the two witnesses, have this same power ultimately leading into the millennial kingdom and the, uh, the return of Christ in the millennial kingdom. One more passage I want, to, uh, I want you to turn to, and, and we will close. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now let's kind of take all of that and sort of tie it in with where we started. By the way, let me ask you this question. All of those things that we looked at, and all of those miracles that we referenced, the Red Sea and the walls of Jericho coming down and Elijah on Mount Carmel calling down the fire and the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus, all of these things. How many of you would say, I would have loved to have seen that? I would have loved to have seen some of that. You know what? We didn't see it. There were only very small, really in the scope of 6,000 years of history, there were only very small windows 
where certain individuals actually saw those things. For the majority of history, and for the vast majority of all who have lived, they didn't see. Look at what it says in John chapter 20. Look at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Notice that? They saw him. Look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What is Thomas saying? Unless I see it for myself, I'm not going to believe. Verse 26, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Thomas saw and believed. You know, it's probably a good thing that Thomas lived in one of those tiny little windows because he said, if I don't see, I'm not going to believe. And guess what? He saw and he believed. How many people are there out there today that say, if I don't see it, I am not going to believe it? Notice what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Who are the they that Jesus refers to? Would that not be us? Have we seen the Lord Jesus? Anybody here put your finger in the, in the nail prints or thrust your hand into his side? No, of course not. We didn't see, but we believe. Look at verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. These things are written. We didn't see the signs. We didn't see the miracles. But some of them were written and recorded for us. Why? Because we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So today, as, as we go out there, whether it's locally or whether it's as a missionary to, to another country, we don't, we don't see visions, we don't interpret dreams, we don't you know, have healing services, we don't do uh, miracles and signs and wonders and all these things. I do not have it within myself to heal anyone or to bring anyone back from the dead or to do any of these types of miracles. Now, remember what I said, God still does miraculous things, but it's, it's God that's doing it, not me. And I realized that even in the examples that we gave, the apostles and Moses and Elijah and these men, it was God doing it, but God had given these men a special and a unique authority to do these things that the average person was never given. So we don't do signs and miracles, and we don't do all of those things when we go out to confirm the word. No, we simply just give out the word. Because the admonition for us today is to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the way, one day our faith will be sight. Uh, the verse in the hymn that says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. We're looking forward to that day, right? That'll be a great day when our faith becomes sight. And when we see, one day we will see. But until then, we walk by faith. And that's why we print and we publish the Word of God, because these things are written so that others can then not see to believe, but hear to believe. Hearing is believing. And are we doing our job to make sure others have an opportunity to hear the gospel. You know, it's interesting. We don't, 
We don't show the gospel. We proclaim the gospel, so not so they can see it, but so they can hear it. And so faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen? Aren't you glad that we have spiritual ears to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us? Because he does speak to us through his word. And I'm thankful for that this morning. And I'm thankful that we have an opportunity to print, to publish, to distribute copies of his word, portions of his word, so others can have the same opportunity to hear the word of God. Father, we thank you again for this day. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do, and we just praise your name for who you are, and we thank you for your word. Pray that you bless the remainder of our time here together this morning. Again, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Sandy, very much. I want to ask you just to bow your heads for, for one more uh, quick moment here. Uh, faith does cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we have before us this morning the words of God. I want us, uh, in several moments, I'm going to ask the men to come, and we'll lay hands upon these scriptures and pray over them and ask God to use these scriptures to reach people both here in our area uh, and in the Mexico City area. Before we do that, I want to encourage you to just take a moment and pray, Lord, use me to get your word to people that so desperately need it. We're looking at opportunities here in the next couple of weeks to begin uh, going out and distributing scripture again, sharing the gospel. Uh, would you pray for your church and, and for the wisdom of your pastor as I lead that effort? And would you pray, Lord, use me. Uh, Lord, if you would have me to be part of our weekly outreach effort as we begin that effort again, uh, Lord, use me. Give me boldness. Give me courage to go and take these thy words that give faith. Lord, use me. If you've not been faithful in recent weeks, months, whatever it is to share the gospel, to share the Lord's words, would you just confess that and say, Lord, I, I know you've called me to do that as a, as a member of this church. I, I, I'm, I, am, I understand this morning, I'm convicted. I've not been faithful in that area. Lord, I, I confess that. Would you give me grace to go and to share your words? I want to give you a moment to pray, and then uh, I'll, I'll close us and ask the men uh, to come forward at that time. Lord, thank you for showing us your power through all of the miracles of Scripture. Thank you for the message this morning. The reminder that you've used those miracles in large part to confirm your words, the truth of your words. Father, these are those words that we have before us this morning. And these are the words that need to get out to those who need to be saved still, so very many. Lord, we thank you for the great privilege to handle your words over the past couple of days to assemble these scriptures. We know the Spanish will be going to Mexico City. We pray for people there. And Lord, we know that it's our duty, our responsibility, our assignment from you to take the English and to get it out to those who, who need to hear these thy words right here in this area. Lord, give us an enthusiasm, a passion to do just that.